Hello everyone, this is Al. Before we start the episode, just a little note. Originally, this would have been our final part of the coverage for Thanos the Infinity Relativity hardcover. However, Brian and I have been having some scheduling issues recently, so we haven't had a chance to record that yet. It will be happening soon, promise. But until it does, we're just going to advance with the show as it would have gone anyway. So today we are cover John's back and we're going to be covering Warlock number 12, a trollish tale featuring Pip the Troll. If we're able to get it done in time, then Brian will be back next episode. If not, then we're going to get started on our five-part coverage of last year's Infinity Countdown crossover. All right, here we go. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And I'm not your host, John Wilson. Yes, he is not. But he is here anyway. To help why, us why, out. Why are you talking to me like I'm not here? So we'll find John eventually at some point. <laughs> I think he's still in the bar. So you settled the bar tab, you're all good to go? Yeah, and there's um, there's a little bit of an audio glitch there, so I didn't hear everything you said. But yeah, set on the bar tab, um, found a woman outside. She was actually not a prisoner. She was just hanging out, but she was waiting for somebody else, and so I had to keep on going. Ah, got it. Very fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in case that little bit of, debauch- of implied debauchery didn't imply to you, we are talking about Warlock number 12 today, A Trollish Tale. Which does feature a little bit of Warlock, but mostly is about our favorite little degenerate, Pip the Troll. Pip the Troll. The uh, not Rocket the Raccoon of this uh, series. Yes. And I'm not sure who I'm more upset, I'm more disappointed is not in the MCU. Adam Warlock or Pip the Troll? Um, I'm more, I, I want Adam Warlock to show up more than I want Pip the Troll to show up. I mean, Pip is fun and everything, but Adam is like... Important. <laughs> well, yeah, he is. But sometimes it's easier to fit in the non-important characters than the important ones when you already have important stuff there. Right, right. And with all the uh, with all the snafus and buffoonery going on with the you know Guardians of the Galaxy pre-production, who knows if we're ever going to get out of Morlock at this point? Exactly. And if we do, it might be years from now. It might be. But that's all frustrating and disappointing. Yes, but luckily that's for another time. So right now, sit back. I will read to you a synopsis of this tale, and then John and I will be back after a podcast promo as well to talk about said issue. Warlock number 12, a trollish tale. Layouts and story by Jim Starlin. Finished art and coloring by Steve Lealoha. Lettered by Tom Orszewski. Edited by Marv Wolfman. Cover dated April 1976, 
on sale date January 27th, 1976, with a cover price of 25 cents. Besides the original issue, you can find this reprinted in Warlock number 3 and 4 from February March of 1983. That was a miniseries reprinting all Starlin's Warlock stuff. Also in Warlock number 3 and 4 from July and August of 1992, that was a reprinting of the reprint series. Reprinting Starlin's Warlock series. Playbook number 31 and 32, that's an Italian reprint from 1993. Marvel Masterworks Warlock Hardcover Volume 2 and a direct market version, both out in July of 2009. Essential Warlock Trade Paperback Volume 1 from 2012. Warlock by Jim Starlin, the Complete Collection Trade Paperback from 2014. Thanos vs. Hulk Trade Paperback from 2015. Die Official Marvel Comic Samalung Hardcover Classic Volume 33, a German reprint from May of 2016 and digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. After the insanity of the time and reality-twisting battle against the Magus, Adam and Pip spend some time unwinding at Mama Alpha's cabaret. However, Adam is not as good as Pip at unwinding through debauchery, or just unwinding in general, and flies off to the stars to try and solve the myriad riddles of life. Pip is quite upset by this. Not just because his only, maybe, friend, is leaving, but he has no money to pay for what he's been up to the last few days, and was hoping to hawk one of Adam's wrist bracelets to pay for it. In his frustration, he gets into a lover spat with Mama Alpha herself, who thought Pip was more serious about the two of them than he really was. This, of course, leads to an all-out bar fight. Well, mostly all-out. I mean, it's everyone in the cabaret except for Pip, who spends a fight hiding behind the bar drinking up Mama's booze. With everyone else having knocked themselves out, Pip walks out the apparent winner. He's addressed that way by a mysterious person inside what appears to be a small anti-gravity craft. When Pip looks inside, not only is he impressed by the appearance of the speaker, one Miss Heater Delight, a beautiful blue woman with a tail, but the craft is also apparently a pleasure cruiser, the type all degenerates dream of, which is bigger on the inside. Pip lecherously agrees to take a ride with Heater, and at her request, recounts his origin. He was born human, well, as human as an alien could be, one Prince Gulfern of Laxadasia. As Pip put it, he was a superior product of selective inbreeding, and spent his life painting starscapes. One night, he found a group of trolls. Finally finding his emotional and intellectual equals, he spent the night partying with them, only to wake up to find himself now turned into a troll. A week later, he was kicked out of the royal court for decadence and has been wandering the stars ever since. Hearing Pip's own version of himself makes Heater think he is the right man for her. She is the prisoner of the owner of the pleasure cruiser and needs someone to cut the wire that holds her captive. Meanwhile, out in space, Adam is wrestling with his personal problems, like his soul gem and the fact that he knows he has a short time to live. These musings are cut short as he notices the stars are disappearing. Now, don't worry that we're not going to talk more about this today. We will get back to that story when we cover Warlock 13 and 14. I promise. Anyway, back on the Pleasure Cruiser. Pip agrees to help Heater out, mostly because of her promise that his reward will be unbelievable pleasure. Not that freeing her was hard. All he needed was a pair of stolen wire cutters. The hard part comes after when her captor shows up, Proboscis the Procurer. A fact that Heater forgot to mention was going to happen. 
Taking pity on Pip, as he's sure Heater was able to easily manipulate him, Proboscis is going to kill him, but we'll do it quickly. But he doesn't take into account that Pip will actually fight back. I mean, throwing sand in his face and runs away, but for Pip, that's fighting back. Although Pip does try to ambush Proboscis by hiding behind a rock and smashing his leg with a wooden branch. Of course, all that does is break the branch, and Proboscis doesn't even notice. Pip finally finds salvation with a large pile of precariously stacked stones standing right next to a cliff. He climbs up the cliff and hopes to push the stones onto Proboscis. It works, but not the way he thought. The stones don't fall at first. The entire cliffside falls, and then the stones that Pip's holding onto. But doesn't matter, Proboscis is defeated. During this whole fight, there is a mysterious figure watching. That figure turns out to be Star Fox, aka Eros, brother to Thanos. He is Heater's lover, and he would have freed her, but she made him promise to stay out of it in order to protect his beautiful face. The lovers fly off together, leaving Pip to plan his vengeance. For about five seconds, until he sees Proboscis start to make his way out of the rubble. Then it's time to escape in the pleasure cruiser, leaving us with that eternal question. Say, I wonder what's inside this hookah. Hi everybody, my name's Hub, and I host a show called Tighten Up the Defense. A podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week. We read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother Corey comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Corey? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole. Mm. It is. So good. It is. Paradise. Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt bits. You have eaten none. <laughs> and beaver's butt this Pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us, Cowabunga. And we're back. Yay. That was quick. It's almost like we never left. I know. I know. I can't believe I talked that fast. I'll have to slow it down. This time on Adam Warlock. Get over here, rabbit. So we are in a bar today. Um, and, of course, I like this issue because it gives us a moment to focus on Adam's friend Pip. Uh, he's been around, he's been helping, but Adam Warlock has been center stage because Adam Warlock has had to do everything and defeat the Magus and kill his future self and all that other stuff. And by the way, thank you again for helping clear all those events up for me because they'd always been kind of confused in my brain. And you had been able to unravel that wibbly oh, wobbly sure. timey wimey. But now we get to shift the focus onto Pip the Troll. Yes, this is a nice, this is the, one of those nice settle down after the big event issues. Mm-hmm. 
This is the Kitty's fairy tale of Warlock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, it came out years before, but still. Comics are sometimes really great about this sort of thing. Just You can't do this on TV because every episode needs to be another big thing. I mean, whatever, whatever story you're telling, each episode needs to build to the next chapter of that story. So doing something like this on television is not as easy. But with comics, you can take a big, dramatic, you know, huge, impactful arc and finish it. And the next issue, do an offbeat tale to sort yeah. of, you know, lower the stakes and make things more comfortable and easy to read. Yeah, and kind of give people a place to relax and go, okay, so nothing crazy is going on. I can just read the character, you know, do some characterization. Mm-hmm. Also usually works well as a jumping on point. Right. I guess technically a jumping off point, too. Okay, so random story. Yes. There was an internet rando that used the term jumping off point to mean what we usually say for jumping on. Because I was asking, I posted a poll in the uh, in a Facebook group about the X-Men. Um, hey, you know, I post a lot in here about my read-through. I'm currently in the you know early to mid-90s. I've read only a smattering of modern X-Men. I don't really know everything that's going on. Do you think I should read Uncanny X-Men 1? And, you know, yes or no. And one guy says, uh, it was a, I really enjoyed it. A lot of people are using this as a great jumping off point. And I was like, you really enjoyed it and people are dropping the book? And he's like, no, I meant jumping off into the deep sea of X-Men. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to tell this guy how to talk. Um, but that is not what that means. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, you mean the current Uncanny X-Men? Yeah, the one that just dropped as a recording, just dropped this week. The the number one of the 10-part weekly story. Got it. Yeah. See, I find that weird. Not the jumping off point. Not the talk about the new Uncanny X-Men series. I would just assume your jumping on point was Uncanny X-Men number one, 1963. There was no Uncanny X-Men one in 1963. Well, ex- there issue was, one of the title that there became was, Uncanny X-Men. There was the X-Men number one, 1963. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I assume was your jumping on point. It's all yeah. your jumping on point. What's so, the first issue? Hmm. Superman number 700 was pretty good. It looks interesting. Let me start with action number one. Right? You are <laughs> no, not no, wrong, not 2011, sir. 1938. You are not wrong, sir. <laughs> um, no, that's the part that makes me question. You asking a jumping on point. <laughs> well, the way, I, the way I phrased the poll was um, my two options were, yes, you should read it now, or no, you should wait until your read-through gets there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't you? You did that for your Waltz. I mean, granted, it's not as crazy an idea in the comparison, but that's what you did for when you were going to read the Waltz Simonson run of Thor. Okay, let's start Journey into Mystery number eighty-three. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's how I move. That's how I roll. A friend of mine, you know, back in two thousand, what is it, two thousand eight? A friend of mine is really digging Jeff Johns's Green Lantern. He suggests that I read it. So what do I do? I go and get All American Comics sixteen. And I read the entire run of Golden Age run of Green Lantern, and it was fun. And Doi B. Dickles is one of my favorite Golden Age comic heroes. Doi B. Because you I see, actually, Lantern, he right, he wears a Doi B. on his hat every time he's he's driving a hack. 
And um, <laughs> I actually talked about Adam, uh, uh, not Adam, Alan, Alan Grant, Alan, no, Alan uh, Scott, Alan Scott, Alan Grant's a writer, right? Alan Scott, a couple episodes ago for the uh, Best Event Ever crossover, I did his uh, one shot Abyss Hell Sentinel for Underworld Unleashed. Nice. The one with him and Molly. Did she actually appear a lot in the Golden Age, Harlequin? Um, she was around. Um, she was a um, a villain, an antagonist that showed yeah. up like less than half a dozen times. Okay. Her first appearance is kind of late-ish in the Golden Age run. So there wasn't okay. a whole lot of time for her to appear a lot. And most comics didn't do a lot of recurring villains. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of assumed from what I saw that she didn't really show up that much, but that's happened a lot unless they were main characters. It's not like they had a lot. It's like, oh, this guy appeared twice. Yeah, you know, Batman is a big exception. Batman had a lot of recurring villains, but that wasn't standard fare in the Golden Age. Yeah, it kind of looks like it's like, oh, that person appeared twice. That was their arch nemesis. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, they fought them twice. <laughs> yep. I mean, we think of the Red Skull and Captain America. The Red Skull probably appeared a half dozen times in the entire Golden Age. So, well, that's definitely a arch villain then. Right. Six times? My God. You're so, supposed to kill him. Say what? I said you're supposed to kill him and say it's a fitting end for his kind. Well, they did. He just happened to come back. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Then they retconned it to be like six different red, imposter Red Skulls. Yeah, okay, so whenever I was doing some cat, I don't know, we're, we're just going to tangent this, but, you know, your show likes tangents, so, hey. Yeah, um, that's the whole point of the show at the time. I was going to be doing a Captain America podcast. It was going to be not a revival of the Mighty Shield, but, like, a different concept of Captain America. Oh, cool. And so I started reading, uh, it ended up fizzling, but I started reading a lot of Captain America, including Golden Age, and... um one of the things I was watching for, because I didn't know what the historical reason was for saying that the Red Skull of issue one and the Red Skull of issue three were different to the Red Skull of issue seven, which is supposedly the first appearance of Johann Schmidt. Like, I didn't know why people said that was the first appearance of Johann Schmidt. So as I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading it, and... At the end of every story, the Red Skull dies. I was going to say, was that it? I think I remember seeing because that's the only time the Red Skull lived. Well, no, he didn't even live then. At the end of every story, the Red Skull dies. And there's oh. absolutely nothing in the book at the time to say this is a different person being the Red Skull. Um, it's it's later descriptions of the story that come about that say, no, this is the real Johann Schmidt here. Oh, Okay. That that particular um, treatment goes along the same category as the stuff that Roy Thomas did, you know, to bring in the Golden Age elements into the modern comics. And Steve Englehart brought in the 50s cap. So whenever they go back and they see the Golden Age, they try to use it. The the yeah. stuff with the Johann Schmidt being issue seven came along with one of those kinds of stories. OK. I was going to say, because my assumption was just that was one time the Red Skull got away. So I, I just assumed that. Because I knew he died in his first few appearances, so I figured, well, that's why the, you know those ones were the dead ones, and the one who lived must be the Johann Schmidt. But mm-hmm. obviously, I was wrong, and also I was wrong that I assumed it was Roy Thomas that did it all. But um, usually it was. Yeah, Roy Thomas did it a lot. 
He loved his Golden Age comics. And he loves his retcons of that. Mm-hmm. And he loves giving the Vision different bodies and people possessing them. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't work Warlock to being one of the Vision's bodies, since he was artificially made. Maybe he did, and they just vetoed it at the editors. Like, okay, that's enough. He can't be everybody. <laughs> but what do we got oh, going yes. on in this comic here? We've got... Um, well, the, the cover, we got Proboscis about to stab Pip. Yes. Proboscis is such a great name. Yeah. Yes. And I'm looking at that going, I know that word. And yeah, I do know that word. Proboscis. They just put a hyphen in there. Mm-hmm. The nose of a mammal, especially when it's long and mobile, such as the trunk of an elephant or the snout of a taper. Right. Or any of various enlonged or extendable tubular processes, such as the sucking organ organ of a butterfly. Basically, if your nose or mouth sticks out from your face and can move around, that's a proboscis. Yep. So my question about that is this. Did Jim Starlin think it was a cool word and make it the name? Or is it just because he looked at what a proboscis was and said, well, you know, if you don't know what it is, it kind of looks like a dick. He's kind of like a dick. <laughs> Could be. And that's his name. Kind of a dick. So I was thinking about this. You know, Adam Warlock, he's had his big life. And this is his downtime. This is his quote-unquote civilian life. This is his... Theoretically, the part of his life where in other superhero comics, he would be his other self. Yes. But if you ask Adam Warlock the, the, the question in that track at the end of Man of Steel, what are you going to do when you're not out saving the world? He does not have an answer. No. Because that has been his entire existence. He does not have a Clark Kent answer. He doesn't so, have a home. Um, yeah. He doesn't have anything. He's very much like the Silver Surfer. Just a cosmic force out cruising the stars. Yeah, he's always on. And the surfer at least has the board. Right. Which is something. It's going to be a weird existence. Just just got nothing to do right now. I'm on my board. I'm bored on my board. (laughs) I've never thought of that before. I don't know why I find that so funny. You know, you always see the Silver Surfer, like, swashing into the scene, being dramatic. I've got to take care of something. What was he doing five minutes ago? Probably Anyways. looking for space dust on his board so he can play tic-tac-toe on it. Right. <laughs> Doesn't his board have an aura, a dust-repellent aura or something? <laughs> even worse, he's like, I'm bored. I came into... Oh, I need to go back to Earth and get a smartphone so I can play games. So we've got uh, Mama, Mama, Mama Alpha. Alpha. And I love way, her. Oh, I love yeah. her a lot. I love that she loves Pip the Troll. What's that? I was going to say, Mama Alpha and Proboscis, by the way, this is their first and only appearance. Only forever? That that I've been able to see on a couple different sites looking. As far as I can tell, this is the only time either one appear. That's a shame, because she is able to hold her own. She runs that cabaret, which means she's got all kinds of you know loser men coming in there, so she's got to hold her own. And I'm all about a plus-sized warrior woman kicking ass in this comic. Oh, she is fun. The best part's Pip goes, oh, I forgot Mama was there. It's like, kind of weird since I was been sitting on her. <laughs> He's been sitting on her lap the whole time. It was just so comfy. I love her. 
I like her hair. Oh, with the, with the like the star, the Donna Troy star effect in her hair. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And of course, she has the Jim Starlin eye thing going on. With like the little like design around her eye and like it's different color oh. right around it. Mm hmm. They, they often you can't tell if he's intending that to be shadows or not. And yeah. here it's just color. It's obviously just color. But yeah, he does that. He puts a color around his people's eyes. And it's like, is that color or is that that their face looks like? And um, there's the panel where, um, oh, what is it? Yeah, while the fight's going on, Pip just like hides behind a thing. And he says, I guess that's what happens when you let just any kind of riffraff come in. And um, he is the any kind of riffraff that you don't want to come in sometimes. So it's like. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. He probably smells. Probably never. I probably never want him to come in. Pip, do not sit on my couch. Oh, yeah. my God. I remember when this used to be a class place to get plowed at. <laughs> I know where that loincloth's been. It's been on your loins. Please take it off my furniture. <laughs> Actually, just please take it outside of my house. Right. <laughs> Sit, go in the backyard. I'm going to get the hose. Actually, it reminds me of that scene from Pulp Fiction. When they show up at uh, the guy's house with the dead body. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you guys been to county. You know what to do. And he starts hosing them down. Nice. And I could say, you could probably say that about Pip. You've been to County. You know what to do. We're going to hose right. you down. Here's some soap. You've been to Galactic. You know what to do. Oh, Galactic. There you go. But speaking of that panel, I do like to have to say, I like the panel before that with the scene, the little panel with the little silhouette of everyone in the bar fight beating each other up, but mm-hmm. it's tilted. Yeah. So you have that bottom, like bisected. So it's almost like two triangles, almost, with so the little get- bottom part of the words. You get the long effect of an image, but then you also get to, you know, skew it and have a cool visual effect. You squeeze into a little panel, and there's Mama in the middle there. She's the she's the big shadow in the middle tossing people around. Oh yeah, she's great. Now is she going back a page or so? Is she biting Pip's ear? Probably. She likes him. She well, likes no. her some troll. Where are we? Uh the part where she's uh fighting him or about to fight him. She's getting mad at him. She's like, I thought you were different. He's like, I am different. I'm a troll. And she grabs him. But it looks like she grabs him oh. by the ear. But then the way it is, the next panel looks like she's biting it. Okay, I'm zooming in on my my digital here. And uh, I don't Page see the ear. In her, yeah, the ear is not in her mouth. Okay, it's she, a little hard to tell. Yeah, she just got his hand is up holding his ear. Her hand is holding his ear. She's got his face close to her face. But no, she's not actually biting his ear. Actually, the one thing really amuses me is that Adam's apparently drinking. <laughs> Can Messiahs even get drunk if they're cosmically aware or whatever it is that he is? Well, I'm trying for what's been going on the last few days when Pip says, you know, we got to pay for this, all, all, including all the other sort of vices we've indulged in these last four days. Now, have they actually indulged or has Pip been indulging and Adam just kind of standing there doing, you know, navel gazing? Pip seems the type to use the word we whenever it's totally he <laughs> who's been doing it. Especially when it comes to the term of payment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, all the stuff that we've been up to, you know? No. It's like Adam's like, this is the same beer I had last night. Right. I'm still drinking it. Hey, 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 Adam, Adam you, don't, you don't want that beer from last. Why? Is it gone sour? Well, it's not sour. It's just not committed. I don't care. Yeah. Where have I done? What is the time? 
<laughs> Although I do like to talk of that because we've seen plenty of these universal crossover type things where like time gets reset and everyone's like, oh, well, at least that's fixed. And here Adam's like, so I've killed people, but they're not dead. And there's an entire universe that I remember that doesn't exist. Plus the personal stuff I did of my fighting my own alternative self, who doesn't exist now, and knowing I'm going to die soon. It's hard to be orange. It is. Well, that's a good question. It's like, what happened to those people that he killed? In the, like, are they still existing? Like, is there another right. Autolycus somewhere? Yeah, I think we talked about that some before. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it is a weird thought because you have played with time. You've gone down a time track that no longer is there. And so it's like, huh. And then you get into like, you know, existential questions. Does anything I've done even matter at this point? Has my entire purpose for existence been reset? I mean, think about it. Has, has he even been the Messiah of counter earth? Uh, that part probably because everything that happened to him with the with the Magus would have happened after Counter Earth anyway. So since all that was reset was him going to the Magus, becoming the Magus. I have to. I'm assuming at least well, based Magus on what we've was, seen, the Magus was setting up shop for five thousand years. And yeah, all but, of that's undone now. I'm just saying it, it's just impossible. I mean, if someone were to spin the story that nothing he's done has even happened yet, I wouldn't be surprised. It would make sense with what we've seen. I mean, that's a possibility. I don't think so from what I've seen, but I will admit it is not completely out of the realm of possibility for that to have happened. Yeah, so that could be like one of the things he's wondering about. Like, did it does does anything I know about existence even have meaning anymore? So yeah, it's 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 a weird place for him. It's a good time to get drunk, is what I think is what we're saying here. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely be getting drunk. Right. And probably I don't know if I'd be causing bar fights like Pip does or walking out of them as the quote unquote victor. There's a part in mash episode called sometimes you hear the bullet. And uh, this guy is writing about Vietnam war experiences. And he said, you know, you have the, the, the story of the fresh young faced boy who um, goes off to war and, you know, you hear a bullet fire and you hear the shrieking of the bullet and then he hits hit and goes down. Well, I met that kid. I met that kid on that battlefield and, uh, I was talking to him before he left and he said, the weirdest thing, I didn't hear no bullet. And Hawkeye's response is because it was just such a hard thing to think about kids just going out there and getting killed. I don't mean the podcast. I was, it feels like that kind of a moment. Like Adam's like, Oh my God, my life is so weird and I'm feeling such a, a misplaced existence right now. I think getting drunk sounds like a really good idea. Pip, where is this bar thing you've told me about? Yeah. Okay. That can actually, I can actually see that instance of Adam going to get drunk then. Cause I was trying to wrap my brain around that, <laughs> but I can go with that. Although I can also then see Adam sitting there and spending four hours on a beer. Yeah. Both ways, both so ways. So he's going to do it. He just doesn't actually know how to do it. Or or he tries it and takes a drink. He's like, oh, my God, have you really been putting this in your body all your life? <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs>
But Which um, is why Adam leaves. He does. He leaves. He goes off to have a plot line that we're going to get teased in this issue, but doesn't really happen until next issue. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Unless you want to just jump to the Adam part now and, just, and then stay with Pip. Uh, I suggest the opposite. I suggest we talk about Pip and then just like, uh, well, you know what? Because that'd be weird with dramatic. So yeah, let's let's skip ahead to Adam. I think his yeah. next thing is these pages aren't numbered in my copy. Yeah, it's page fourteen on the actual issue, where you got like the fifteen atoms in the page. Yeah, yeah, you got like five images of Adam. Yeah, so doing, the naval, um, doing his best. Naval, really, he just goes out gazing. to do more of the same. Yeah, he's just just debating with himself and discussing, and. I, I just thought of this just now, so I don't have to, I didn't have time to look for it ahead of time. There's an issue of Alan Moore Supreme, where Supreme had went out to space in the 70s, and I'm fairly certain there's something similar to this in there. Okay. With um, him I have, debating existence. I will let you know whenever I get to that on all the pouches and Image Comics podcast, but it might take a while. It might take a couple years. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of time. Um, one thing I liked about all of this is the bottom left speech balloon. For within my own fevered mind rests the knowledge and memories of those whose souls I have stolen, and my other self that never existed, the Magus. And I just read Infinity War mm-hmm. recently, the last few months. And you know what happens at the beginning of Infinity War? Ooh, that other self, happen? that other self, the Magus that's resting inside his mind gets brought out. He yep. eschews his evil thoughts and his good thoughts from his mind. And you see the Magus spring out of his body. So obviously in 1976, five, four, something like that. Um, 75. Yeah. Cause this came out January 76, I believe. Okay. Obviously Starlin was not thinking that far ahead, but. When he had the idea in 1992, he had already seeded the concept earlier in the in the issues. Yeah. Yeah, what, whether it was something he had thought, maybe I'll do something with the Magus before the series ends, before he left, obviously, initially, or didn't think about it until he looked back and said, hey. I like that idea. I like the idea that he actually did that with the notion of doing something with it later. It's like at the end of Star Trek three, whenever um, Spock puts the mind meld on Dr. McCoy and says, remember, no one knew what that meant. No one in the writer's room knew what that meant. It was just something they could deal with later. It was something they can figure out what to do with, but it gave them a little window Mm -hmm. to play around with things. So intentionally giving himself a window for a story seed idea that ended up, you know, not getting used until Infinity War. I like that idea. Speaking of that, if I ever get a chance to talk to Starlin, I need to find, I would love to, I'm sure he doesn't know exactly. It's been years, but I just wonder if like he knows what his general idea was going to be to do with Warlock. Like how long was he going to go bring him down before he did the death? And was he planning on killing him or was he going to try and get out of it? Like, you know, somehow work its way around where he still lived when he was planning on staying on the series. Yeah, that'd be a good question. And I I love questions. I love getting into writers' minds and, like, exploring the order that story seeds developed. Like, okay, so you did this as a result of doing this other thing. Did you know when you did the other thing that you were going to do this? I, I would love to just 
anytime I'm reading a story, just have the writer's brain next to me to sort of chew on and um, understand how the story developed. Was it organic growth of one thing out of another or was it planning ahead to do something later, you know? Yeah, like was there when he started when he or she started writing the series, whatever series it is, did they have a basic outline of just a I want to do A, B, C, D, E, mm-hmm. you know, and then, of course, you all the other stuff gets worked in around it. Or was it I want to do this and doing that? They go, ooh, Because of this, I can now do that. Because I feel like. I feel like we used to live in a comics industry that had a lot of organic developments. I did a thing later on. I do another thing and I get the idea for the second thing because of what I did before. Nowadays, I feel like a lot of long runs, there's a lot more projecting that forward because you want to show your editors where you're going ahead of time. There's not as much trust that, you know, things are just going to work out. Okay. What is difficult and frustrating is whenever you find out that that's happening that the writer has a four-year plan, a so-many-year plan, and then that book gets canceled or the oh, writer God. leaves or something like that. That's Yeah, that's always disappointing because you can tell when they get – I mean, not tell, but I mean, when they get to the end of that thing, whole thing, it feels like there's an, this is a whole story I was telling. Whether it's you know the series ends or like in the case of, let's say, uh, Starman. Or just their story arc, you know, their, their time in the, in the series ends. And you're like, I had a plan, and I wanted to do this, this, and this. And like, nope, nope, I just got to do this and this. Right. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff in these series that he was doing month to month. But at least based on the, I mean, obviously, based on the mega story, he obviously had some idea of what he wanted to do. Maybe not a full idea, even when he started. But he had a, some idea of... Adam's evil self. You know, at the very least, he knew that going in. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do a storyline on Adam's evil self. And really, I mean, he has already seeded his next big development with killing future Warlock. Yeah, and Um, that's the one thing I'm curious about was, was he planning on killing him? Or was he, even if he doesn't have any idea how he planned to do it, or if he never had an idea how he was going to do it, did he want to not kill him? You know, is it like, we're going to think of, I'm going to think of a way to change it. Yeah, I would imagine, this is just me spitballing, I would imagine his next big thing was the killing of Warlock and Thanos. And that was going to be how he clears the Thanos side of the board for a while. And he would find some way to undo Warlock or the other way around. And um, have Thanos do other things. I would imagine, just again, this is just me guessing, that... He was going to do ongoing stories. It's just that this was the next thing he was doing. And since he was magically brought back to do that one story, he ended up making it more final than he originally intended. But I could be completely wrong on that. No, it's possible. And I I could see the way Sterling was doing this series that we would have had an issue or two even of just like Pip or Pip and Gamora before Adam and Orthanos were brought back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he would have taken his time doing that because, I mean, it's a bi-monthly comic. He's got work, he's getting paid, he's doing his job, and he's going to tell the stories. And Yeah, I mean, to I, be fair, it, taking his time back in the 70s meant an issue or two. Mm-hmm. And we get hints of other stuff happening with Gamora in the last couple issues that 
end up not really going anywhere. Uh, not at all. They get mentioned in like a side note. I The one I'm thinking of, if I remember right, is like you get a mention in a panel uh, on a caption of what happened with all that. <laughs> and then it's just like thrown out. Yeah. It's like, it, it got better. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. We got to tell this other story now. So, yes. So I think the Adam that brought out enough in there. So let's get back to Pip. So we're back to Pip now at the bar, walking out the victor. Yeah. I'm going to assume Mama was like the last to fall, probably. <laughs> that was always my assumption. She's like the last one down, probably just exhausted. And then Pip walks out of the bar. Guess I showed them. And it's it's pretty great because like he he didn't do anything, but he he's doing the classic Victor walk. It's also undercut because he's short, which is emphasized because there's a hovering vehicle that would be at like thigh height or knee height for another person. But for Pip, it's almost covering his face. Yeah. Yeah. This little armored, not covered, no, sorry, not armored, but little metal looks like that thing that they would show from like ancient times or emperors, you know, riding in where you have like the four people carrying it on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's called. Uh, palanquin. Sure. I'll go with that. God, I hope that's what it means. <laughs> Sounds like I'm just making up words. You don't know. I've also heard it pronounced palanquin, like the French. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know which one's right. It's one of those words that I've seen written so many times. I almost never heard spoken. Yeah. So he goes to see who's in there. And I love that second panel on that page when he's looking inside. The mm-hmm. red shading on his face, the one eye squinted, the other eye wide. Which is kind of how his eyes go a lot of times. Uh, but yeah, and, and then he like gets trailed off in the middle of the sentence because he's confronted with sexiness. Yeah, but I also like the fact that with the red there, it's almost like him trying to be Pip the Killer Troll that he talk, that he calls himself. And then that next panel goes completely changed to the, oh, hi. The real version of Pip. <laughs> yes, Heater Delight, which I always want to call Heather, but I know it's Heater. Right. This is her first and not only appearance. Oh, does she come back? Oh, she has a couple appearances. Uh, okay. I'm sure minor, because I haven't really read them all. Um, Marvel Comics Presents 22 and 65. And Avengers Spotlight 21. Guess whose stories those are? Are those Pip the Troll stories? Nope. Are those Eros stories? Yep. Star Fox, whatever his name is? Yes. Okay, so I was, was going to say, I've read those issues of Marvel Comics Presents, but I've only read the stories of characters I care about. Got it. And I honestly like, don't really care a whole lot about Eros. Yeah. So those are his stories and that she's in. I'm showing she appears in. She also apparently does end up not being involved with him at some point because she's in Thanos vs. Hulk number one. So we've already covered her on the show, by the way, when we did the Thanos vs. Hulk miniseries. Okay. She's involved with Pip at that point. So she goes back to the better man or not. Yeah, there's not many people not counting villains that you can't say dating Pip and dating them and then dating Pip is not a downgrade. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, the the thing with with Heater Delight is that she is um, she's a sex slave. She has been imprisoned and forced to, you know, work you know work her body. Mm-hmm. And throughout the comic, she is always posed and given a facial expression as if to try to get people to do what she wants because she knows how to manipulate male hormones. Um, so there's always the unspoken implication of, you know, hot and spicy times to come. And then they don't. Yes. Which is kind of the, the punchline you're expecting the entire time. But when it actually happens, the way that it actually happens is pretty amusing. Yes, it is. And so she has one of these pleasure cruisers that all DeGeneres dream of, mm-hmm. which is apparently a TARDIS. I thought the same thing, bigger on the inside when he goes in. Yeah. But this makes sense. It's 76. This is the height of Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor. I think we have Doctor Who uh, comics from Marvel to this time. You might be right. They might actually... We are right around the transition to Baker, and they they start with Baker, so they might come out later. Uh, Whoa, 1984. There were, I'm sure there was Marvel stuff in the the 70s, maybe later 70s, but. So there was Doctor Who magazine, like Doctor Who Weekly and Doctor Who Monthly, that was published by the UK. And they had comic strips in them. But Marvel's Doctor Who comic series was started in 1984. But you know what? It was actually reprinting those Doctor Who weekly series strips. I know there are definitely Doctor Who comics because there are Doctor Who comics that go all the way back to the first Doctor. Um, but as far as U.S. readers with U.S. access, that might not have been a big thing until 1984. Well, no, hold on. I know we appeared in something else. There we go. Let me see what issue was. Marvel premiere. Okay, no, not as early as I thought. He was in Marvel premiere. There was fi- issues fifty-seven to sixty are Doctor Who, is a Doctor Who story. Okay, but that's cover dated December eighty, February eighty-one, April and June, and then April and June of eighty-one. So obviously, very very late seventies in the fact that it's nineteen eighty. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier than you thought, but not as early as I thought. Because this is 76, so we're still a few years away. But obviously, Doctor Who was still pretty popular back then. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that Starlin, one of them, would have watched it. Yeah. And I just looked up, um, Doctor Who Weekly uh, started doing comics in October of 79. So before that, you could get Doctor Who in your every issue of TV comic. So, you know, your weekly TV guide would have a page of Doctor Who comic strips. When people think of the Doctor Who comics that, like, you know, did some of the bigger stories, those started in 1979. Now we need to belabor the point a whole, whole lot, because we've already done it a whole, whole lot, but that's when they started. Okay. And now you know. So, yes, Pip's hanging out in her TARDIS. And he wishes he were. (laughs) But we get the origin of Pip the Troll. Yeah, and it's, you know, a little ironic, a little tragic, a little, well, that's your own damn fault. A little, it, I'm trying to remember if there's a specific one, but it wrote, in my brain it kind of reminds me of like a Washington Irving story. It kind of reminds me of like a little bit 
worse version of Rip Van Winkle. Uh huh. That's at least if, what I think. If you hang around with trolls too much, you become a troll. Yeah. And he didn't look too different whenever he was, you know, Prince Gofern of Laxadasia, which I love that name. <laughs> I do too. And by the way, I realized something when reading this issue last night. There is a phrase I've used, not so much for myself, but for other people like, you know, who really frustrate me mm-hmm. or who I think are really despicable that I've used. And this is where I got it from being a superior product of selective inbreeding. <laughs> I've used that phrase for I've used that or a variation on that for years. And I read this. I'm like, that's where I got it from. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I have a lot of little things I say, but I, I know where most of them came from. But uh, but yeah, it's funny when you like you, st- you you internalize something and you forget where you internalize it from. Yeah, because it's not so sp- character specific. Like right. when I occasionally say hokey smokes, I know where that comes from. Mm hmm. I that's, believe you. Yeah, that's Rocket Red. <laughs> OK. Oh, with the, you know, getting things said wrong. Yeah. That one is, I was like, oh, that was such a joy. But I love all these other trolls, too, when he meets them. There's the little degenerate troll. There's the big, there's the big ones, like, hi. Yeah, and they are much more like you think of with trolls. They are, you know, really malformed, ugly, humanoid-looking things. I love that he knows that he's 260th in line for the throne. So he is royalty and he is an heir, but 259 other people have to go wrong before he gets the throne. Yeah, well, you know, when you have 259 people sleeping with their sisters and cousins, (laughs) nothing good's going to come of it. Injury creature. And I wonder in a situation like this where you're in a line of succession, but there are a number of people in that line of succession. Do you know all of them or do you know, like just the last few before you? Cause like in Battlestar Galactica, whenever everyone's dying and the, and the secretary of education um, is waiting to hear, she knows that she's 83rd. And she says that she knows exactly who all the other 82 people are before her. And that seems like a lot of names to keep track of in my brain. That does. Um, I'm going to say no. Pip does not have a clue of. I'm be surprised if Pip knows his parents' name. I think other than mom and dad. I figure he probably knows that if Bobby, Stormy, Jerry, Rick, and Todd die, I'm next. But first, Bobby, Stormy, Jerry, Rick, and Todd have got to die. Yeah, that's the most he would know. He's going to know a few people. Right. And he definitely does not know the all 260 before him. <laughs> so he basically wakes up a troll. After there might be a morality tell in there. If you, you know, do too much drinking and gambling and sleeping around, you wake up as a person who drinks and gambles and sleeps around. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it doesn't matter who you who you think you are. If you do a certain thing so much, you're going to become the per- you're going to be the person who does that thing. Yeah, I read a quote. It was exactly that thought recently, but said more eloquently. It's basically like, there is no who you are. You are made up of what you do. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you think you are. If you're the person running, if you think you're better than that, but you're the person going out, getting drunk and, you know, doing a lot of drugs every night and sleeping in and not paying your bills. 
Well, guess what? You're a person who gets drunk every night and doesn't pay your bills. It doesn't matter what you think you are. Yeah. You can think right. you're the nicest person in the world, but if everyone you know is a, everyone you know is in the clan and that's who you hang out with, <laughs> you're known as a person in the clan. Yup. You can say you're not. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you're muffled under that sheet. <laughs> there's a sort of dramatic reveal whenever he comes into her TARDIS and wants to help her and wants to, you know, get some recompense for his efforts. And the thing that he, she wants him to do for her is to break her slavery chain. Like, yes. I don't want to be a sex worker anymore. Please help set me free. Which means that his entire recompense that he's wanting is now in jeopardy because she's obviously not going to give herself over to him. Not what she wants to do. And uh, then, we, then we got our Warlock page. Yep, which we already and, did. And the one thing we didn't mention is that the stars are disappearing. And that's oh, the setup yes, that's for next right. issue. Yes. He's sitting there musing about his plight in life. And he's like, oh, wait. Crap, the stars, the stars, the stars are disappearing. What's going on? Yeah, he's like, what the hell? And then that's for, that's for next issue. We come back to Heater. And she promises unbelievable pleasure if he helps her. And the thing that she's wearing only covers her front. It doesn't cover her back. Mm-hmm. But in that last panel that we see her right before she says unbelievable pleasure is the first time I noticed that. So it feels like she's revealing her top to him, even though she's not. Yeah, because if you look up two panels before, you realize that you can actually still see her. You can see her back, even though she's still clothed. Yeah, so she just wears a garment that's backless. But it's just the feeling there in that in that particular panel is that she is she is giving Pip what he wants and he is so excited. Yeah. Well he's just excited about the prospect. Mm-hmm. He is very easily manipulated by that. Which is probably why she picked him. Well one of the reasons. That and she thought he actually had a physical prowess of fighting. Right. No, so this next page highlights two things for me. When Pip goes to get the wire cutters mm-hmm. and he has to Think of a way, because the guy, because the shop he's going to steal them from, the shop owner is this huge burly guy, and of course the wire cutters are in his back pocket. So Pip gets this plan and executes it, and does a pretty good job. Yeah, rips off a wire from a lamp, wraps it around the metal thing that the guy's sitting on, plugs it in, and that the guy gets zapped and does his best uh, Yosemite Sam with his pants on fire impression. <laughs> my you know, biscuits my... are burning. My biscuits are burning. Fire in the hole. Ow! My biscuits are burning. Fire in the hatch. Oh, oh he great hornetoes. That's smart. And he gets the wire cutters. And so, on the one hand, it's like, wow, good job thinking, Pip. But on the other hand, it's like, really, Pip? All she needs to do is have a wire cut. Like, think, man. Like, if you thought about this, could you think about that for five seconds? Right. Does that not seem way too easy? Well, maybe she can't do it herself. Maybe there's some reason that she can't. But um, I, I well, just... there is a reason. That's just the problem. That's the point. He didn't think <laughs> to ask. Well, it's just a wire. Why can't you cut it? Why can't anyone else cut it? What? Wait a minute. Hold on here. This is. But no, this is Pip. He he will have like it's one of those people who will have like these ingenious plans to not work, where they'll spend more more time working, more time working on not working. Right. Right. And that's Pip. 
I just realized what fire in the hole means whenever Yosemite Sam screams it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> well, look where the fire is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, funny. Because really my only um, extant memories of Yosemite Sam are his brief appearances in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, no. I watched all those Looney Tunes cartoons when I was a kid. Well, yeah, I watched it when I was a kid. I just don't remember any of that anymore. Oh, and I still own some DVDs of them. <laughs> hey, those cartoons are great. I oh, have yeah. I have collections of Mickey Mouse comic strips that I plan to read that I bought as a full-grown-ass man. So, you know. Oh, my, my in-laws bought me, my, my mother-in-law bought me this Looney Tunes collection that has a whole bunch of the classic ones, including the uh, What's Opera doc. Gotcha. Kill the wire. Anyway, so he cuts the wire, and I do like that little, it's like a little, like, almost like Abbott and Costello comedy skit. What's that buzzing? Oh, did I mention the alarm? No, you don't. Oh, that signals proboscis. And when he says proboscis, you expect to see somebody with maybe possibly a proboscis. But instead, you see just like a space dude who has a space douche. (laughs) Yeah, he just looks like a intergalactic, low budget B movie space dude. He kind of looks like he belongs on the show Jersey Shore. If Jersey Shore were in space. Yes. But I'm also thinking about now, he also... Was Zardox out by now? See, I was thinking the same thing. I didn't look it up. I don't know where Zardox is. Because he does kind of look like Zardox. Yeah. Like, if you had him and Proboscis and Vartox all next to each other. It's like, are you guys cousins? Let me look up Vartox. Okay, um... Character. I'm on Mike's Amazing World. It is 1974. Oh, oh. oh no, sorry, that's Zardoz, the movie with Sean Connery, the inspiration. You're looking up Vartox. Ah, okay. So Vartox is also 1974. So both of those were out. So this guy is Zardoz slash Vartox, just a different interpretation of it. Yeah, he's the younger cousin. Right. That's funny. Proboscis is Zardoz. Yeah. I didn't realize that till just now. Wow. And he has like rings of power, like the Mandarin on. So that's, I think their only power is that it says I possess these powerful rings of vice. Oh, he does shoot like beams with them. Okay. Oh, real quick though, on his appearance. I like the giant flower though. The coronation, the carnation on his uh, shirt. Mm-hmm. It's a nice touch. Yeah. I have a pot flower on my lapel. See, I'm classy. And we see Star Fox in the shadows, but if he were a bit beefier, that could be Thanos. Like, it has a lot of the right touches to the silhouette. Well, you know, they're they're siblings. They dress alike. They were were dressed alike as kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he has the, he's going to beat up Pip. He's like, I know she tricked you, but I got to kill you anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. And Pip just decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run away. Don't rush to kill me. In fact, take long. 10, 20, 100 years. Go, you'll find me at Mama's. <laughs> Which is a great line. He has a lot of really good lines here. 
And he manages to win by pushing a pillar of stones over on the guy. And Heater is so grateful. Well, that's the best part. Is he's against the cliff to push the pillar of stones, and he's he's monologuing his, not monologuing, he's narrating it to himself, and he's like until so straining to push the pillar until much to his surprise, the entire cliff falls instead, <laughs> and then the pillar leap in leprosy. I don't believe it. the The weird way that this is structured is that Heater gives Pip the troll the the Palenkin as a pleasure cruiser, which was her interpretation of unlimited pleasure from earlier. But she does that before Star Fox even shows up. I don't know if I were writing it that like I would have Star Fox show up and her wrote over to him and like, you know, kiss him and be thankful. And, and, um, Pip to be left in the dust, like, yeah, what about, what about the, you know, what you promised me? And then she'd be like, oh, there's the pleasure cruiser over there. That could work too. I do like this way though, because Pip's like frustrated. He's like, oh, that, that's not what I wanted. And then Star Fox shows up. Oh, what did you want? Uh, nothing, sir. Ah, true humanitarian. Fantastic. I, I don't like Star Fox with the, with the uh, necklace on though. That looks wrong. That just yeah, looks I weird. I don't know him well enough to, to really know what fits him and what doesn't. He strikes me as one of those characters that is so like, it's he, he's so. I don't even know how to describe what I'm trying to say. So never mind. Uh, he he's a character I have not read very much of, and the fact that he is the brother of Thanos feels like one of those things that only comes up every now and then, but isn't really usually thought of. No, it was. It actually doesn't really come up that much. I mean, it comes up in like Infinity Gauntlet, but he really doesn't get to do much. He's just kind of there as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading the the most recent and the I guess the last of the Starlin Thanos hardcovers because it was a it was a Thanos Eros story. Hmm. Which would be interesting, especially since he's the creator of both of them. Right. And they are brothers. But yeah, they leave because she didn't want Eros could have done it, but she didn't want anything to happen to his beautiful face. Yeah, because Pip the Troll's face is already kind of, you know. Who would know? Right. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you got pummeled, but really? Are you sure? Because it looks the same to me. And he almost looks like a troll version of Star Fox. Like he and Star Fox have just enough similarity in their face. You can imagine if Star Fox were turned into a troll, he would look like Pip. Even the same hair color. Mm-hmm. And um, so then Proboscis's hand sticks out of the rubble, and Pip's like, okay, got a skadoosh out of here. And he gets on his um, pleasure cruiser, drives away, and finds a hookah. Ooh, what's inside of it? <laughs> and we never see that pleasure cruiser again. I'm going to assume he lost it. That probably seems like a safe assumption. Image Comics formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. 
in April of 1992. The first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are what there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. All right, now we're up to the Friends and Enemies segment of the show. And in case you forgot, or this is for some reason your first episode, in our Friends and Enemies segment, we take a look at uh, other issues that are out this month for titles that we have already covered on this show. And today, I actually remembered that I didn't have this recorded in time, so I actually have a person to help me with it. So thank you, Sean, from Secret Wars and Beyond. Yeah, no problem, man. This is uh, this is one of the few benefits of having no life. <laughs> is that somebody can can reach out to you and be like, hey, can you record it a date? It's like, yeah, of course I can. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Neither was I. I'm just recording. <laughs> <laughs> we can smell our own. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you knew who to go to. You're like, he's not he's not doing anything important. <laughs> yeah. I can he can I, he can record. It's no big deal. He's free. <laughs> They've finished most of their stuff. They're just reading stuff at this point doesn't matter oh spoilers that That, that is coming soon man so as i said this is the friends and enemy for warlock number 12 because that's the issue we covered to this episode and april 1976 so first off we have the avengers number 146 the assassin never fails by tony isabella don heck keith pollard and john tartarleone yeah it sounds good that sounds good yeah even as Dr. Don Blake operates on the mortally wounded Captain America, the remaining Avengers must fight for their lives when the assassin attacks them both in the hospital and at the Avengers mansion. So what do we got here? Ooh, we got all the Avengers racing towards, well, sorry, all the male Avengers racing towards a scope. <laughs> they're right towards a paparazzi. They're going yeah. Sean Penn on him. Exactly. It's it's a good cover, man. I it's a I like the action pose. I like Thor, you know, kind of center mass. But I cannot get over. I will never be okay with Iron Man with a nose. It it, it ruins it every time. <laughs> yeah. It does. It ruins it every time because every time I see him, and I don't think everybody else makes this association, but he reminds me of the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. So I like the second I see him, I'm like do 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 do, and I can't take him seriously. Uh, yeah, no Iron Man with a nose just doesn't work for me. Now I have Robert Denny Jr. in my head saying, some people go this way. <laughs> some people go this way. <laughs> That's an entirely different Robert Denny Jr. movie, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, otherwise it's a nice cover. I mean, except for, yeah. The, the, and it almost looks like a different artist for the Iron Man part. It, it really does. Yeah, the face looks like they, they brought somebody in last minute, which actually might make sense because we're going to talk about the Iron Man issue in a little bit. And actually, something happens with his face in that issue. So that, that might make sense. Although, and I'm looking at this one, I just said, like, it's all because it is all the male Avengers. It's Cap, Hawkeye, Thor, Vision, and Iron Man. And I'm just thinking, like, off to the side, like Scarlet Witch and Black, I forget, Hellcat maybe would be in at this point. Just going, guys, why don't we go behind the guy with the big gun, not towards <laughs> the guy with the gun where he's pointing it at you? Uh, yeah. All right, all right. You get shot. We're going to go in the back and beat him up. Yeah, this is um, this is move A one, which is race towards the barrel of the gun. <laughs> it's a it's the first thing you learn in Avengers training. 
Hawkeye's smart though. Hawkeye's like, yeah, I'm gonna stay behind the Asgardian, the guy in armor, and the guy with the indestructible shield. I'm, I'll be right behind you guys. I'm right back here. <laughs> he, yeah, he's almost smart enough. The other ones, the smart ones, like I said, Scarlet Witch, who's like, I'm just gonna go behind the guy. Yeah, screw yes, you guys. I'm good. Stupid. I'm good. I'm okay with this. It's it's sexist, but I'm okay because I'm not gonna die. <laughs> yeah. This is a, the the only thing I, I remember about this issue, and and is the assassin is the 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 antagonist in it. And there is a cool moment. There's two cool moments in this issue. One, the there's a woman waiting for them when they get to the hospital who gives them coffee and she drugs them. And later on, Hawkeye and Iron Man come back into the fight and and Vision's like, oh, I thought you were drugged. And they're like, no, we vomited it up. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, really? <laughs> like, I, I didn't need that that mental image. But I always thought that was kind of cool. And then there's a when they fight the assassin at the end. They actually tear off the the costume, and it's revealed to be a woman, which was really cool. Like that's one of the probably the first times in comic book history where like they went toe to toe with a, a a bad guy, and it ended up being a woman, which I thought was really cool. She even calls them out. She's like, "You shouldn't be surprised by this. I you know I can kill you just as well as a man." And I was like, "You go. You teach them about equality while you're murdering them. <laughs> equality and murder. Exactly. Yeah. Equal opportunity death." <laughs> Wait, wait, did you ever read Sandman? Oh, yeah. The um, the serial killer convention? Oh, yeah. Where there's the panel of the um, female serial killers? <laughs> it's, that is really awesome. That is such a great issue. Yeah, yeah. And they're talking about, like, you know, their treatment in the media. And, like, <laughs> they don't get the same respect as the male serial killers. It's really great. Yeah. All right. On serial killers, I think we should go to the next one now. All right, well, speaking of serial killers, Daredevil, number 132, No Matter What Happens, Bullseye Rules Supreme. It's by Marv Wolfman, Bob Brown, and Klaus Janssen. And in this issue, this is only the second appearance of Bullseye, and he trounces Daredevil. And then Daredevil returns the favor. So there's something kind of funny, though. In the letters page of this issue, you do have Marvel Value Stamp Series B63, which is Stan Lee's. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and yes, all the value stamps. I know, I know. I, You know what? I'll find back issues in the bin sometimes, and I'll flip to the back because I know it's around that era. And and uh, more often than not, the, that you know space is empty. It's been cut out. And I still buy the issue because I'm like, oh, that's so cool. There's some kid somewhere who, like, you know, cut that stamp out. I don't know. I like it. I, Maybe he I, got I, the book and put them all in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like to think so. I like to think it. I like to think that's what happens, though. My podcasting partner, Greg Arujo, tells me that anytime I find an issue that old in a discount, it's because the original owner died. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, really? <laughs> way, to kill, way to kill the discount bin for me. <laughs> You're imagining this child, like, enjoying this comic exactly. and cutting it out. And he's like, the kid's dead. Yeah, th- this actually tells you everything you need to know about our podcasting partnership. I'm the one going, oh, there was a kid somewhere with a book full of stamps. And Greg's like, and that kid's in the ground. <laughs> it's, it's, and that uh, kid grew up and went to went, went to Nam and got his face blown off. Yeah, yeah. You happy now? <laughs> that is actually the heart of our partnership. I, I do have to say, if you are a Bullseye fan, obviously you would want these issues because they're his first appearance, but... It's not the bullseye of Frank Miller and, you know, later writers. He's definitely he's kind of just a low key kind of street criminal in these early issues. So so it's cool that that's his first appearance. and It's pretty cool what he comes goes to become. But Marv Wolfman clearly never when he created him, never thought he was going to go on to be a great villain. Although I wish we had more things of bullseye being shot out of cannons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is pretty cool. Actually, pretty much anybody being shot out of a cannon is pretty cool. 
Because that is what's happening in the cover. He's flying up to Daredevil, who's on a high rise because or a high wire because he's being shot out of a cannon at the circus. <laughs> like, he, damn, that's awesome. It is. It's a pretty great cover, and it's you know, battle beneath the the big top is a is you know, in big letters, and it, it's a dynamic cover, man. I like Daredevil just flying unceremoniously towards the reader, and it looks like Bullseye is going to win the day. So it's it's effective. I have if I I would have bought it off the racks. It's funny that Daredevil had such issues at this point because I mean, you hear us like some of these names like they're not horrible names. I mean, Bob Brown can go back and forth, but he's fairly he's usually pretty decent. I mean, he did he's a lot solid. of warlock issues. He's usually pretty decent. Klaus Jansen, Marv Wolfman, these mm-hmm. are not crappy creators. Yeah, no, he had some good. In fact, it's funny. You know, every once in a while, you get in your head as a collector and you start having these weird conversations with yourself, mm-hmm. and I. Recently had a whole – this tells you the excitement of my job. I recently had an entire work day where I was trying to figure out what character has the most really good runs. you know. In, and obviously, you know, Batman's got some great ones. And I was you know, kind of going through a bunch of them. And Daredevil kind of lands it because it's like you've got you know, Miller. And even after Miller, you have O'Neill, then Miller again. And then the No Senti, John Romita Jr. runs amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get a bunch, you know, Bendis comes on and, and Brubaker and just, you know, on and on and on all the way till, you know, Mark Wade. And I don't know. I, I yeah, it's, it's funny because he was not super popular during the 70s. But, you know, I would argue from about 81 on, he's maybe been one of the most consistently good books Marvel puts out. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, before that, like at this point, I think he was by Wimpley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Though he may have just done that in college. I don't know. He may have just experimented. It was just, <laughs> I just went by one thing. <laughs> just in college. Everybody does. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, you got to experiment. That's when you do it. There's a time and place to experiment. It's called college. <laughs> well, speaking of experimenting, what's our next issue? <laughs> Ooh, very nice. That was a good transition. It was a good segue. Yeah. It's the Fantastic Four, number 169. Five characters in search of a madman. By Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. So beware the biggest shock ending of all time in this Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, Joe Sinnott creation. Power Man was only a temporary measure, bombast buffs. Don't miss the latest member of the Fantastic Four. He, she, or it, we don't want to give anything away, will knock your socks off. And um, also, by the way, you know, we're going to talk about this for a minute or two, but if you want a better description, go listen to Fantastic Cast, episode 223. That is a great show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's and and actually this is a the cover of this is pretty cool because it's Ben Grimm as the thing, and he's got his hands out, and in one hand it's Power Man and he's attacking Reed and Sue and Johnny and they're fighting him off in the other. And I always refer to this as the Fantastic Four bubblegum era because the circles at the top with each of their faces would be reprinted on the Fantastic Four bubblegum that they used to sell. Remember, like Big League Chew, but they had the Fantastic Four on it? So this is always the bubblegum era for me, which I love. I have fond memories of, but it reminds me of candy. I There was a Fantastic Four bubblegum? Yeah, it was totally Big League Chew. It was the same stringy, you know, kind of big pack of gum, almost like a fun dip pack that you could kind of fold. But mm. it was Fantastic Four, and it had these four circles on it. It had Herbie on it, too. And it was right around when the cartoon had come out and uh yeah they used these exact i don't know who drew these if it was keith pollard i think it was keith pollard but these are the exact images they used so every time i see an issue from this era it just kind of makes me smile because i think of that that really awful bubblegum <laughs> i did not know this wow okay i've learned something cool <laughs> the, the ff merchandise is everything man they're shameless oh yeah 
Well, yeah, that's how they make their money because they have to keep. They're going to keep losing it every couple of years. They're going to go bankrupt. Yeah, well, I mean, if you you know send half of New York into the negative zone every Tuesday, you kind of need to make some money to pay that off. Uh, yeah, that's true. This is an important issue though because Power Man's taken over by the Puppet Master, so they're you know they're losing him, and the only reason he's there in the first place is because Ben has reverted back to Ben. And at the end of the episode, Reed's like, "Okay, we need the power of the thing," and he reveals the thing suit. And I I have no memories of the thing suit really from the Fantastic Four itself, but years years later, Mike Allred and Matt Fraction would use it in their FF run. Where, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the Fantastic Four was was going on an adventure, and they needed a, a team to watch the planet while they were gone, and so each of them named a member, and it was like She Hulk, Medusa, Ant Man, and then Johnny forgets to name someone because he's such a flake. So he just gives his girlfriend at the time, who's basically a pop star, she's supposed to be like, you know, Britney Spears, she gives her the thing suit. And he's like, okay, you're the thing now, go ahead. And she ends up being an awesome character. It was a really fun, it was a fun yeah, little series. That was the, only lasted. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, go on. Oh, no, it, it, it's fine. I think just it lasted like 16 issues, but it was awesome. Yeah, that was the uh, FF title, right? It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, it was just FF, not Fantastic Four, because I had like two books at the time. Yeah, like she didn't have the helmet either. It was always her without the helmet on. Yeah, it was a ridiculous looking. I mean, just she was a ridiculous looking, but it was Mike Allred, so you know, well, it yeah. was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's right, I remember that. But yeah, I forgot about this. This, this was the time of the suit. And although one thing I always think of whenever I see this stuff in this time is, or like watch movies in this time is like, because Luke Cage is yelling, "You know it, baby! This is the last round." I'm like, if that's one thing to bring back, I like the concept of just calling anybody baby. It wasn't a sexual thing. It wasn't a relationship thing. He's talking to Reed Richards. Oh, yeah. He's like, well, I mean, it's this just is... like, hey, you know it, baby. <laughs> well, this is the same guy who called Dr. Doom honey. Remember, he said, where's, where's my money, honey, when he goes yeah. to collect his $200. So, yeah, Luke Cage is awesome. I, I, I agree with you, actually. I love I love 70s Luke Cage. I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. I got to try and bring that back. wonder how that'll work. <laughs> well, we need somebody cool like Luke Cage. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's got it's to go over big. All right, so I'm not gonna be able to do it. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think, I think, I think I'm out too. Yeah, because I'm only people I'm thinking if we could pull that off, who were pulling that off was like Luke Cage or like Cleavon Little in uh, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> I, well, and, and now of course you gotta go. And they was right. Uh, <laughs> that is my, my five one of the five best lines in a movie ever. <laughs> All right. Well, up next we have the Incredible Hulk number one ninety eight, the Shangri La Syndrome. It's by Len Wein, Sal Buscema, and Joe Staten, which is a pretty, like, that's a Mount Rush. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So as General Ross and S.H.I.E.L.D. plot against our hero, the Hulk is captured, along with the Man-Thing, by the elder of the universe known as the Collector. Now, what happens when you put two of the most feared creatures in the world under one roof? Well, you can guess, and it's not going to be good for the Collector. And, and this is a cool I- I- issue because... They're put into a swamp environment in the collector's, you know, menagerie. And Hulk's like, I mean, he's, he's got like a collar on him and he can't escape. And so he just falls asleep, turns into Banner, slips out of it, turns back into Hulk. And, you know, all hell breaks loose. It's pretty oh, awesome. There we go. Well, that works. OK, so that explains all the weird looking, like different types of characters that they're fighting because it's all. It actually looks like the Hulk's fighting Jonah Hex. It really does, actually. I, it's funny that you say that because I was looking at the cover and I'm like, what does this remind me of? It totally does. It looks like Jonah X, which, you know, that's a cool crossover. That that would be the weirdest crossover. Hulk, Man-Thing, and Jonah X. 
<laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it, it would be interesting. I mean, it would, it would be a lot of fun and somebody would be pregnant by the end. I'm not, I don't know who, but somebody, somebody would be. Probably man thing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah you, know, you never know, you know, he's, he's, he's there. This is a cool, this is a cool issue though. I think because the people who are fighting him, it, it like in the issue, you find out that the collector has been like collecting people from earth for, for a really long time. It's supposed to be like Genghis Khan and some other people. And, I think Jonah, Jonah Lex or something, you know, Marvel's version. Uh, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty cool cover. It's pretty dynamic. Oh, that is an exciting cover. I mean, Hulk, they're just Hulk and Man-Thing are just tearing things up. And Man-Thing's got like a sword and several arrows sticking in his back because he doesn't know and he doesn't care. Yeah, he's just a swamp creature. He doesn't yeah. know. Anytime you get Salvi Sema drawing the Hulk, you're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. Hulk 198. So we're almost up to 200. Oh, well, obviously. Wait a minute. I'm trying to remember what happens at Hulk 200. No, I'm thinking of Hulk I, 300. Never mind. Yeah, it, exactly. I, it's funny that you say that because I'm like, I don't know, but I know exactly what happens in Hulk 300 because that's one of my f- probably 10 favorite comics. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. All right. Well, since we're thinking of Hulk 300, let's skip ahead to Iron Fist number four, Holocaust by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Frank Ciaramonti. After an explosion and continuing battle, Radeon leaves Iron Fist for dead as he builds the critical mass. While attempting to stay alive, the villain's pass is made clear to Iron Fist. Because, you know, what else does he have to do besides monologue? <laughs> well, you know, Iron Fist's just there dying from radiation poisoning, so he's got nothing else to do. Yeah, he's like, want a story? It's like, yeah, why not? I, I So I, I thought this was interesting, because I actually had not read this issue. And I, I don't know if you ever read Power Man and Iron Fist in the 80s, but there's an issue where the two of them fight a nuclear-powered villain, and the guy explodes, and Iron Fist gets radiation poisoning, and like it actually eventually leads to what appears to be his death until it's oh, retconned. So that's what happened. That's why that guy guy when he died. Quote yeah, unquote. yeah. He what weakens him, and then he's killed by like a Shazam ripoff. But uh, but it's it's funny because I was like, man, I'm like he's got to be the only hero, maybe except. Storm or somebody who, you know, is actually a nuclear hero to ever get radiation poisoning twice. And, and especially as a martial arts hero, like just didn't seem like something that would happen a lot if you're a martial arts street level hero. But there you go. Yeah, sure. Because even Captain Marvel only got it once. <laughs> yeah, it's like Johnny Dangerously. I got it once. Once. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, didn't cover... chance, I didn't get a chance to read Power Man and Iron Fist. I started a few years after it ended. You know what? It's funny. It was a... Um, it was a wonky book because it, it just had a like one writer after another, one artist after another. They could never keep teams on it. And then you get this really good little run by a very young Kurt Busick. And you get a good little run by Mary Jo Duffy and Carrie Gamble. And then at the end, Christopher Priest takes it over. I mean, he was he was James Owsley back he then. He was Owsley, Christ- yeah. Yeah, Christopher Priest takes it over with M.D. Bright. And it's the last like year of that book is fantastic. I mean, it's really one of my favorite like under-the-radar 80s books it's really worth picking up it's great and, and you can find it in any discount bins like every discount bin in america is like the first 10 issues of alpha flight x-force number mm-hmm. one and power man and iron fist yeah i do need to get that eventually read that eventually at the very least that last year like you said because i am a big fan of priest oh yeah and if you like written, priest, i would definitely recommend it it's it's a it's really good you can kind of see what he's going to become in those issues you can see him taking some risks it's pretty cool yeah, because I think I remember reading something about that title where, like, at the, somebody, maybe it was him in an interview saying, like, at the time, it was, like, they didn't set anyone up to be the writer. It's, like, so anyone, even if you were the writer for, a year, like, for, like, several months, it was, like, 
You're writing this issue. What else? Just this issue. Oh All yeah, right, you wrote that. Now you're gonna write the next. You can write the next issue too. I wish I'd done that before. I could have done something. Well, they can strung him along. Yeah, and if you read interviews about that time, they strung him along, and the book was selling. It, eventually, he and M.D. Bright like kind of built it back up. It was selling like a hundred thousand copies a month, which you know at the time was was good. I mean, now it would be like, but at the <laughs> time was good, and they canceled it to get money for the new universe launch. And mm-hmm. Owsley was so mad and nobody was watching over the book because nobody cared about it. And he was so mad that nobody was acknowledging the work that he and M.D. Bright did that he kills Iron Fist off in the last issue in a really unceremonious fashion. And he did it as kind of a like, you know, you know, forget Might you be. to Jim Shooter and, uh, fully intending to go back and retcon it at some point and then got fired and was like, uh oh. And then luckily John Byrne came along and retconned it. But it was. It was left hanging for longer than it was intended to because Priest ended up getting fired for what he did, which is, you know, that's Priest. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm actually half, I mean, I'm, I'm half amazed and half thankful he's still on, he lasted as long as he did on Black Panther and on um, Deathstroke. Yeah, his Deathstroke book is so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm up to the Lazarus contract right now, about to read that next. I'm picking that up in trades. It's, it's yeah, it's I definitely recommend it. It's worth reading. So, yeah, there you go. Iron Fist, Radiation Poisoning. Not his first go-around. Up next, we go from Iron Fist to Iron Man, who must be better because he's more iron. It's uh, issue 85, And the Freak Shall Inherit the Earth by Roger Sliffer, Len Wein, Marie Severin, the great Marie Severin, Mm -hmm. and Herb Trimp. Is is it Trimp or Trimpy? I never – I don't know if if, if you know. I always say Herb I say no, Trimpy. No, no, actually, I, I just pronunciation-wise, I think I, I've always said Trimpy, and somebody corrected me once, and then I was like, I, I don't know. But anyway, he's great. So in this issue, there's a fear-fraught fight in Flushing Fright Yard as Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> and if Iron Man should fall, then the freak shall inherit the Earth. And in this issue, Iron Man gets beat down, and his armor is immobilized. So he heads back to Stark Industries, and he puts in some much-needed improvements, including doing... What every girl I graduated from high school did in the summer between graduation and freshman year of college, he lost his nose. And so the nose Iron Man, the, the Iron Man that looks like the Scarecrow as of this issue is officially gone. So, Aww. yeah, we get the, the much cooler, you know, Golden Avenger, you know, that, that at this point in time, he's not defined by Bob Layton. But, well, you know, only Eventually. a year later is going to be really defined by Layton's work. Yeah. But right. So obviously this one takes place after Avengers 146 because he saw the nose there. Exactly. Which is why I wonder why if they originally had drawn the the cover without the nose, but they don't want to spoil his own issue, you know, because it, it's it's a surprise. They even talk about it in the cover of, of Iron Man 85. They say, yeah, inside this issue, you know, witness the dramatic new change in Iron Man's armor. He has Which a nose is, job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's so awesome. It's like I wish he was finding the rhinoplaster or something. Like I wish they would have just <laughs> leaned into it fully. <laughs> it would have been awesome, but yeah, that would have been great. Because it's a, it's a not, it's not a great cover. It's no. Iron Man, and he's blasting the um, Happy Hogan, who's become a living bomb. He's coming out of a subway, and you know, he's, he's the, the freak, freak again. I think he's become the freak a few times. Yeah, yeah, I just uh, it's and it's it's not a great cover. I mean, it's not super dynamic. The the Iron Man's leg is like five miles long. Oh you know, god, yeah, that's so yeah. Look weird. at that man. That is some weird perspective stuff going on. But he's up walking in circles. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he really would be. He really would be. That's great. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really 
really poorly constructed as a cover. But most importantly, the nose is gone and our great national nightmare is finally over. <laughs> and the country breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> and speaking of things affecting the whole country, like a war, we got next Marvel premiere number 29, Lo, the Liberty Legion by Roy Thomas, Don Heck, and Vince Coletta. And this actually is a story continuing from issue five of Invaders. The worst case scenario has happened. The Red Skull's uh, taken control of the minds of the invaders, and now Captain America, Namor, and the Human Torch are on his side. Bucky must assemble a team of America's home front heroes to save his friends. Enter the Liberty Legion, featuring the Golden Age heroes, the Patriot, Red Raven, the Thin Man, the Wizard, Miss America, Jack Frost, and the Blue Diamond. That is certainly a team of people. (laughs) Yes, it is. You know, it's funny when I read the I I read the blurb for the issue. I was like, you know, you could have just replaced some of those names, and this is the blurb for All Star Squadron number one. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's you know, and it's Roy Thomas, and you know, Roy Thomas, God bless the man. He he lived in the golden age, and uh, you know, I love I loved All Star Squadron, so I'm not I'm not in any way being sarcastic here, but but it's pretty funny because that's the same excuse for forming All Star Squadron, which is, hey, the Justice Society has basically joined up. But we still need heroes back home. So it was, I was like, "Hey, that's cool." The Liberty Legion, not not quite that's as cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Although surprisingly, three of these characters have now made it to live action. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, we've got Winter Soldier. We've got Je- Jeff Mace, mm-hmm. the Patriot. Oh wait, who's the third? The Wizard. He was in season two of uh, Jessica Jones. Oh my God, I haven't watched it yet. Was he really? Is it? And oh. does he get his powers from Mongoose Blood? No, you know. Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't know you didn't watch. Sorry, I didn't think about checking first. But yeah, he's in season oh, no, two. No, no. I mean, it looks nothing like him. But yeah, he uses the name the Wizard. So that is technically awesome. It's him. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I know, literally, the only thing I know about him is that he got his his powers from Mongoose blood. Because you know, even in the Marvel universe, like, ev- I mean, that's just you know, radioactive spider guys are making fun of him even. So that's just bad. But yeah. it's a cool cover. I mean, it, it's definitely aping, uh, and it may not be aping. Maybe it is Jack Kirby, but it's it's definitely going for a Kirby, you know, oh god, yeah, stilted forties Phil, yeah. And the Thin Man, and I'm like, well, he had his own set of movies, so he's okay. <laughs> he did Nick and Nora, yeah. We just, yeah. We just need Nora there somewhere. Well, and it's funny because Miss America and the Wizard, there's a there's a Miss America in DC as well, mm-hmm. and she has a relationship with, and I can't remember who, maybe the Adam, and I, there was a, a a short-lived series in the '90s called Damage. Uh, yes. About a, yeah, I don't know if you remember, and he yep. was supposed to be the son of of Miss America and the Adam, or the grandson or great grandson of the you know timeline slides it always seemed confusing who it actually was because like there were people who thought we thought it was and then it was and then it wasn't and it was retconned yeah maybe it was iron monroe and then yeah i just exactly but but it was it was miss america and it was a similar costume so it threw me for a second when i saw this because i was like wait why are we doing dc and then i was like oh wait (laughs) there's a couple miss americas that's pretty cool yeah i guess for some i guess they yeah that's true they both have miss america i guess it's generic enough name or maybe because of the uh Miss America pageant, maybe they can't really pin that down as, you know, copyrighted. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, and, and it's not surprising that a name like that would get used again. But, the, but actually, her, her look is very similar, even. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I never actually looked the two together, but you're right. Cause I just mm-hmm. was reading one of the issues of Young All Stars recently that has like her in it. And that's right. It's oh, yeah. Custom. 
And, you know, they're both Roy Thomas, too, so that kind of threw me as well. And, I, and Roy, I mean, you know, again, give the man credit. He would love to do those little, like, under-the-radar DC Marvel crossovers, you know, like creating the Squadron Supreme oh, you know, yeah. of, as the JLA and, and uh, you the know, Rutland so. The Halloween Parade. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fantastic. So, so I don't know. I, I don't know that Roy was doing it, but I like to think there was a little tip of the cap there. You never know with him. You never know. Well, speaking of men who like to wield hammers, <laughs> just totally not a segue at all, but I wanted to say it. I mean, it's not Thomas is going with a hammer. You never know. You never know. Exactly. Uh, we Our next issue, our final issue is Thor number 246, The Fury of Fire Lord by, again, Len Wein, again, Marv Wolfman, this time John Buscema and Joe Sennett. So the Asgardians are just chilling in Jane Foster's apartment. When news comes that Fire Lord is leading a rebellion in a small South American country, like he's Ollie freaking North, and mm-hmm. Thor decides to fly down to confront him, the two of them fight, and Thor is taken over and possessed, much as Fire Lord is, by a character called Gypsy, and ends on a cliffhanger where she now controls both Thor and Fire Lord, which is actually legitimately terrifying. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's actually not a good thing. The first thing I'm thinking of as I'm looking at this is, when did Jane Foster join Charlie's Angels? <laughs> I mean, look, by law, it's the 70s. So, you know, women had to have fe- – actually, women and men had to have feathered hair. I think there was something – I think it was statute at the time. Well, true. And Thor already had it, so. Oh, yeah, exactly. She was just trying to keep up. Yeah, it's um, it's a good cover in that, you know, Thor and, and Fire Lord are, are swinging at each other. You know, and they're, you know, the, the, his the Mjolnir versus the fire stick, which doesn't sound as cool. <laughs> but yeah, Jane is <laughs> exactly. But Jane is definitely uh, a little jungled out. She's uh, it, she looks more like she's on the cover of a Tarzan issue than she is on the cover of Thor. Yeah. It's a it's a good cover. I actually kind of wish they had gotten rid of the background. There's like a jungle background and there's a guy holding Jane hostage because if it's just Thor and Fire Lord, it's pretty dynamic. Yeah, actually, they could have focused more on that and more focused in the center of the thing rather than need to push them down a bit so they can have the uh, hostage thing going on in the background. And I feel like if this were 10 years later, Thor would be whispering, uh, dude, Spider-Man beat you up. <laughs> so I'm not afraid of you because, <laughs> you know, I cannot see Fireboard now without seeing those awesome Spider-Man issues where Spider-Man <laughs> just trounces him. Dal dost been trounced by Spider-Man. <laughs> Go <laughs> yeah. away. Exactly. Thou I will call Power Pack to deal with you. <laughs> yeah, he's now beneath them. He's like, you are now beneath me, Herald of Galactus, if you follow the Spider-Man. You know, because it's like you and Mound Mountain, Man Mountain Marco. Like, you know, yeah, not exactly a, a pantheon of Asgardian-level villains. Yeah, true. There's usually not too much crossover between Thor villains and Spider-Man villains. <laughs> yeah, Thor looks at the vultures like, really? Yeah, Ooh, he's fly. Yeah, he's like, zounds, that senior citizen doth fly. <laughs> like, you know, like, that's about as exciting as it gets but that brings us to the end man those are the issues that were out at the time yep oh yeah so that's what you could have gotten for your quarter if you went to wanted to buy other comics besides warlock 12 i mean after you bought Warlock 12 because how could you yeah, exactly pip the troll <laughs> you're not walking away from starland man these are these are the these are the also rands yeah no some of them definitely oh yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I think I'm walking away from Iron Fist, even though it's Claremont and Byrne, though the cover of that Iron Fist issue is has got to be Gil Kane, because that is a Gil Kane up no shot if I've ever seen one. But yeah. uh, 
I have to read more of the Iron Fist. I have read five, six, and seven, and it is still Claremont and Byrne from the seventies, so it is still pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. I have the the um, black and white, you know, like uh, show. I don't. They're not called showcase, but whatever. Essential. There you go, essential edition. And I, even in black and white, man, it's it's, it's like you said, late seventies. Burn is just you just don't get better. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, besides the friends and enemies, if you still have a few minutes, we have one or two other things that I noticed on the issue. I just wanted to talk about. Sure. So, first of all, did you check out that uh, ad for the Marvel medallions? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. I, uh, yeah. I, what, my favorite part about it is, well, the medallions themselves are pretty cool. It's like, they, you know, Spider-Man on one side, and you've got the Hulk, and the Hulk turning in a banner on another side. and Conan. You know, yeah, Conan, you can tell, you know, was a big property at the time. I have to say my favorite part of the ad is that you can get it in either keychain or necklace fashion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think that I would have been rocking a gold Spider-Man medallion necklace. And, you know, given the time, like shirt open, you know, hairy chest and just boom, Spider-Man gold medallion sitting there, like just cooler than anything else on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Or get the Conan one with, you know, the 70s look with the shirt, t- you know, buttoned up to like only with like six buttons left with the awesome 70s van. Oh, with the yeah. Frazetta drawing on the side. That is pretty cool, man. That's a whole look. Yeah, you get the Frazetta van, and then you've got the Conan Battalion. It's 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 it's, it's say it is sending a message. Let's say that. <laughs> now, if anyone wants any of these, and I'm not talking about the apparently they did some medallions in the late in the mid to late nineties. I'm talking about these seventies ones. You're dropping some dough. Mm-hmm. Because I'm looking on eBay right now, and the best I'm seeing is a 125. Whoa. Wow. Man. Why is it weird that I now want one even more? (laughs) Yeah. That's for the Conan keychain. It looks like a Conan keychain one is 125. I got to say, which one's your favorite? I I like the Conan one. The Conan's fun. The Conan's (laughs) cool. For me, it's the Hulk one. and, and And of the three, the Hulk is not my favorite character. But on the back of the Hulk one, they have like a, a series of heads. They have like, you know, Hulk turning into Banner. And it is pretty cool. It's actually really well done. So that, that kind of won yeah, me over on that Look one. at that. By the way, there's a rare silver one of the Hulk. As of right now, it's only going for $449.99 on eBay. <laughs> so, you know, you might jump on that. A bargain at half the price. Or best offer. <laughs> or best offer. That's great. Five bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's about my best offer. I got a five here. How you doing? But yeah, no, these things are not going for anything less than like a hundred bucks. So I will never own one. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Maybe somebody will leave me one in their will. <laughs> yeah. But I will never own one unless I want to be, um, what's that word? Divorced. <laughs> Yeah, there's only so much patience uh, in in the comic book collector spouse. Yeah, and it's like, really? That's what you spent your money on? <laughs> I like to walk my daughter. I have a nine year old, and I like to walk her into my our, our spare bedroom where I have all my comic book boxes, and she'll be like, "Daddy, what's that?" And I'm like, "Your college tuition." <laughs> like, take take a gander. Because, you know, now you're going to have to work your way through school because daddy needed his copy of, you know, <laughs> Avengers 146. <laughs> well, it's the last appearance of the no Iron Man knows. I had to get Exactly. Back. Like, what, what, you know, 
I'm sorry you're going to have to work an extra shift, but, you know, Iron Man's nose is gone. Please, priorities, come on. <laughs> and speaking of having priorities, um, I also like, I, I was very entertained also by the Marvel Explosion house ad. I love these old house ads from the 60s and 70s. It is pretty cool, man. I, it's it's nice to see. Uh, the thing I love about ads, house ads in particular, um, and my buddy, uh, our, my podcast partner, Gregor Rujo, it posts house ads all the time from comics. It's awesome. It's actually, Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah it makes him a great follow. Um, the thing I love about seeing them is I love to see who were like the preeminent characters at the time. You know, who like, like, for example, if this thing is even five years later, Wolverine's on it, right? Like the X-Men oh, yeah. are on it. But and they're the fact, barely out now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they're completely not present, you know, really fixes it in time. The fact that Dracula is on it is pretty cool. Shang-Chi is on it. I think that, that you know, that's a very specific place in time. But oh, yeah. it's Conan. a fun ad. Yeah. The, the Defenders and Defenders are, Hawk, are Nighthawk, Doctor Strange and Valkyrie. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And, and I like the fact that the Avengers that they show are Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye. So it's not even like they have the Trinity on there, you know? In fact, uh, they have, you know, each of them individually, but it's, I think that's pretty cool. It's, yeah. it's again, it just tells you, you know, who was, who was selling books at the time and, and who were their big properties. And, you know, now it's like, you wouldn't see Dracula on there, or the Defenders or, you know, well, now you would see Conan, but only in the last couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Shang-Chi, no. Uh, well, maybe. Well, I mean, they're bringing him back. Now they can use him again. And he's been back in Avengers, but I don't think they've been given his own title yet. Mm -mm. No, no, but it's a cool ad. And, and it's funny because they use art from different time periods, right? Like it's you definitely have the the vision is right out of John Buscema. I mean, Sema. that's actually uh, Buscema. Yeah, that's like. Yeah. What? Sorry, I wasn't correcting. I was just actually saying at the same time you were. Oh, no, no, no. I always do that. I, it, it is Buscema. I always, I always stretch the E. But it's right out of Buscema. But then, you know, you clearly have the the Spider-Man is is clearly Ramita Jr., you know, and then you've got Pollard, again, the bubblegum FF. On the FF, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's a, it, it's a good ad. It's fact, in fact, it's the first time I'd ever seen it. I'd never seen this before. Yeah, we really, when I was reading the issue, I'm like, ooh, because I actually, this is one of the times I actually had the original issue to read for the, uh, for the episode. So I was like, ooh, damn, look at that. Like, yeah, it makes me want to read these now. Makes me want to go back into Marvel Unlimited and grab a whole, you know read a whole bunch of seventies Marvel. Well, what's funny too is you know, and the the timing doesn't work, so it, they they didn't do it on purpose. But we're only what like two years from the DC implosion when DC cancels all those books because they're they're doing really poorly financially. So it's a little funny that it's the Marvel explosion and you know, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, pretty soon the DC implosion is coming. I need to get that book. Uh, yeah, I haven't read it yet either. I've heard great things about it. I love that kind of stuff. Me too. Me too. I love all that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, the only problem with back issues, it's just too much to keep up with, to date with it. So I just read it as I can because there was a time when I was buying back issue and Alter Eagle monthly, or not monthly, but whenever they came out. But there's just too much to keep up with. Yeah. And those issues, they're so thick, full of stuff, but it's well worth reading. Oh my God, they're awesome. Yeah, they're great. They're great plane reads because they're so dense. It's like, you know, you're, and they have such different story, you know, different elements to them. But yeah, you're right. I had the same thing. I, I've got a, a stack of, you know, collecting dust because I haven't gotten to them yet. Yeah. Now I just read them as I can and I just buy them digitally from them. Yeah. So I save the money and the time and I'm like, all right, I'll just buy this and throw it on the tablet. And I'm like, here we go. Got something to read. It's time to cover our feedback. And this time it's from episode 90 when we covered part two of the Infinity Relativity. 
Now on Facebook, that episode was liked and shared by... Well, I don't know, because Facebook decided that the post about the episode violated their standards and removed it. Thanks, Facebook. You suck. But before it was removed, it was liked and shared by several people. I wish I could remember who, but I don't. Bite me, Facebook. Thank you to all of you who did the, who did that, however. On Twitter, it was liked and retweeted by Between the Pages, Jason Snake Venable, Adriano, Maximus, Stuntman Mitch, Bub, Relatively Geeky, Charles Metcalf, Siskoid, Dr. G Neurologist, and Brian Z. We also have a couple more people following us on the Tumblr page. Thank you to Heronson, Borges961, Leverem Soldier, Sewer Sewer12, and Fraser2791. Alright, and as we've been doing these last several episodes, since I've been finally remembering to check my Podbean comments and emails, we have an email... Another one, actually, from David Spofforth. This one came in on November 4th. He said, Hi, Al. I really enjoyed your two-part commentary on the legendary Captain Marvel 29. Coincidentally, I also had a three-part Starlin story over for the other team in DC Comics Presents 28-30. In the first two parts, Superman battles Mongol, DC's other version of Thanos. And in the final part, Superman is confronted by the Spectre, who has to teach him a big lesson about arrogance, Climaxing, of course, with Superman being forced to battle his own dark side. Might be worth you checking out. Cheers, David from London. And David, yep, definitely worth checking out. I haven't read those yet, but I do want to read Starlin's uh, Bronze Age DC stuff, specifically with Mongol, just because of the Thanos connection. Because basically, he took, <laughs> used ideas from the new gods, Metron and Darkseid, to make Thanos, and when he went to DC after he stopped doing Warlock, he kind of used the idea of Thanos to create Mongol. It's a weird little incestuous thing. <laughs> I know I have listened, recently listened to episode 28 of the DC Comics Presents show by Russell Bragg. I knew it, she covered that. But I haven't read those issues yet. DC Comics Presents is on my list of things to read. To be fair, there is a lot. But I will be getting to that eventually. Thank you, David. And for anyone else, you want to be thanked? You want to tell me something? You want to just talk about comics? Well, on Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box. We pop up pretty quickly. On Twitter, you can follow us at AdamThanosPod. Tumblr page, which is where most ever, all the episodes are posted, plus a bunch of other stuff, page, uh, pages from issues we've talked about, the covers from the Friends and Enemies segment, covers of reprints, all kinds of other stuff. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com And of course, you can always send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com Or leave an iTunes review. It's been a little while since I got one, and I would love to get one of those. Those are fun to get. Alright, you know where to find me? Go for it. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And before Sean leaves us, we are dragging him along to the theater. To host this cupcake theater, that is. <laughs> featuring Spider-Man and the Cupcake Caper. Well, I apologize in advance, listeners, but here we go. <laughs> Peter Parker is in Mary Jane Watson's apartment when suddenly he sees a familiar enemy.
MJ, you'll have to excuse me for a minute. You have this thing, Tiger, and I hate it. Every time there's trouble, you disappear. Relax, MJ. All I want to do is get some milk to have with these hostess cupcakes. Peter, Peter's voice is going up. Sure, <laughs> sure, Peter, anything. It, <laughs> sure, Peter, anything to avoid reality. But at least this time you left me with a really delicious snack. Devil's food cake, chocolate icy, creamy filling. Relax, MJ. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's really into that cupcake. You notice that space between his each one's like devil's food cake, chocolatey ice. It's like Homer Simpson. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually a, a disturbing cupcake ad <laughs> for MJ. <laughs> anyway, I hate having MJ think I'm a coward, but there's no other way I can slip into my Spider-Man role. And only Spidey can handle Man Mountain Marco. Don't look now, Marco, but the mountain just became a mohill. <laughs> Webhead, we don't understand you, but we sure appreciate the help. Thanks, guys. Meanwhile, I've got a quart of grade A to deliver. Is that code? I, I, I think so. I, that threw me for a second. <laughs> that sounds completely wrong. <laughs> Sorry it took me so long, MJ, but I got a little distracted. Uh, no yeah, sweat. Code. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely code. No sweat, Peter. The host. Uh, now, I, MJ's voice has apparently changed. My apologies. No sweat, Peter. The hostess cupcakes you left me with were a lot more rewarding to me than you've ever been. <laughs> Brother, if she only knew. MJ is a straight up B in this in this ad. I got to say, <laughs> she's she's comparing Peter to a cupcake unfavorably. It is yeah. it is not nice. She's really into the cupcake. Oh, she's really into that cupcake. But you know why she is. Because you get a Peter. big delight in every bite. Hostess cupcakes. I screwed that up. That's a, I, I did what your brother did last episode. Yeah. <laughs> and, I said it post. I have to apologize. Uh, I was doing my best to do uh, Jason Albrecht's MJ voice from Longbox Crusade, if you ever listen to that podcast, and I did not do it justice. Yeah. So I did my best. I'm not even sure what I was doing. I think at the end I was doing Michael Jackson. Yeah, Peter definitely went into reverse puberty. He was like, uh, it was interesting. Started off 26, ended up 15. (laughs) That's why we are not voice actors. (laughs) No professionals were injured during the making of this Hostess Cupcake app. Only embarrassed. Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf Editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogel. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Spratt. Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Parabek. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. (sighs) I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. Does Pip show up in the thirteen fourteen story? You know, it's it's been a while since I read them, so I don't recall. Yeah, I'm flipping through now just to see what what Pip is doing next time we see him. And I have the issues for them, but they're in the closet over there. Yeah. And I'm over here. Right. No, no, that's totally understandable. Um, There's a shark chasing warlock through space. That's weird.
Oh yeah, Space Shark. Do 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 Space Shark. Space, Space Shark. shark. Do, do, do. Well, that makes sense. I mean, think about it. It's seventy six. What came out a year before? I don't see Pip for the rest of this series. Oh, wow. Could this be his last appearance until those annuals? Okay, we do see Pip um, sitting at Planet Degenera. <laughs> he picks the nicest places. Right, so he does come back briefly before the very, very end of the series. But it's for one scene. And you're right, the Palenkin is not seen in that scene. So we never see the Pleasure Cruiser again. Yeah. We can assume that it's parked outside, that's how he got here. But um, we don't see it. He probably pawned it to pay for that bar tab. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so... That is the end of Warlock 12. There are three more issues in this series. Mm-hmm. Because Jim Starlin's going to quit Marvel soon. <laughs> yeah. And then we're just going to get a couple random appearances by other people. And then we'll come back. And then Jim Starlin will be dragged back in for one final adventure. Well, two final adventures, I guess you could say. Yes. For these characters. Because about that time he goes to DC. Because I know he creates Mongol. And he does a bunch of stuff writing there. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, because he writes that for DC Comics Presents. And I know in the early 80s when the X-Men had that Heroes for Hope one shot, the one against the hunger, Mm -hmm. and DC did their version with Batman Superman, he's one of the writers on that one. I'm not in love with early Bronze Age Superman, so I'm hoping that later Bronze Age, like, you know, Starlet in that era, late 70s into the 80s, um, is more, uh, more entertaining. Um. But yeah, so that's our. I guess that's our book, which I guess means that's our show, which means I should probably, you know, start doing to myself what Pip was wanting to do to Heater. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna not gonna say that. Um, <laughs> Want me to cut know. that out? No, <laughs> it's fine. I'm gonna whore myself out here is what I was trying to say. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So, um, oh, so we'll do that. You're fine with that. Go for it. Yeah. I, I, I record a number of podcasts. I have three shows that I am currently producing. Uh, the first is a show I do with Michael Kaiser, uh, where we are going through the early years of Marvel Comics, and that is at makehoursmarvel.com. It is called Make Hours Marvel, and it comes out every Friday, where we spend an hour to an hour and a half talking about a stack of early Marvels in the order in which they were released. So that's been fun. We started Fantastic Four number one, and we uh, just last night recorded the end of 1963. So um, we're going to be getting 1964, which means the return of Captain America, the debut of Daredevil, um, a sort of ascent in the uh, in the type of stories that Marvel is telling. It's it's uh, we're really excited for the show. Then in um, my own website, johnreadscomics.com, I am producing two shows. One is All the Pouches, an image comics podcast, where every month I release several episodes talking about um, image comics. Also from the beginning, because that's how I do things. Uh, I've enjoyed getting through some of the stuff I already knew, like Spawn and the Savage Dragon. 
but also going through stuff I didn't know, like Youngblood and Shadowhawk and Cyberforce. And, and your favorite brigade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love brigade. Um, but no, Sorry, I don't want to. Yeah, the, uh, generally, overall, it's been a really enjoyable, positive experience. There have been very few books that I've come away from feeling, you know, less than cool. But also, um, I've recently started recording my first segments for the Max, and my daughter, who has read that entire series, is coming along for the ride for that one. So i um, really excited for that show. That is every month at johnreadscomics.com, or you can search all the pouches on your podcast uh, feeds. And depending on when this episode drops, I don't, I don't know if we're in 2019 yet. We are. Okay, so every Saturday, also at JohnReadsComics.com, you can find a commentary podcast. If you are a Japanese superhero fan, you know, things like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and its original Japanese version, the Super Sentai series, well, the first incarnation of Super Sentai, which is known as Go Ranger, has been fan-subbed. And so I am doing a commentary podcast on that show with my nine-year-old son and he and i get on there and we're silly and we heckle the show we call it super silly sentai so that is at johnreadscomics.com you can listen to that links for all these shows will be in the show notes so you don't have to go look for them just click the button yeah just press the press it's not clicking a button there is no button just press on the link just tap on it it's very simple go 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 do and I can be followed on Twitter at John Reads Comics. And John Reads Comics does not have an H. No just H. In case you can find me. Again, link. I make it easy for you people. You don't have to pay. Did you don't have to pay attention to half of what he's saying? <laughs> just listen to what the name of it is and go click on it. Just go press on that t- link. I make it simple. And, and Link does also not have an H. No, it does not. Many things do not have an H. Unless they have an HM. <laughs> All right. Well, John, thank you for joining us in this little adventure into trollishness. Yes. Uh, we'll try to be more moral upstanding citizens with the next issue whenever somebody is dis- disappearing the stars and we have to decide whether or not to euthanize a person who's in a coma. Yeah. And fight a shark. And fight a shark in space. In space. In space. All right, thanks for having me on again, Al. I really appreciate it. All right, well, thank you for being on. I appreciate that. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.